Welcome back to episode 46 of Anime Deep Dive, the podcast that does in-depth reviews of different anime series. Due to the extent in which plot points will be discussed, a spoiler warning will now be in effect. This is a spoiler review, so if you haven't seen a series and are only looking for a recommendation, there will be a timestamp in the episode description you can skip to called Final Thoughts. This section will be spoiler-free where I get my overall opinion on a series and whether or not I think it's worth your time to watch it. So now that that's out of the way, let's deep dive into Darling in the Franks. Released in 2018 by studio Cloverworks, Trigger, and A1 Pictures, it has 24 episodes and comes in both sub and dub. I watched the series in sub. Starting my brush-up watch for the review, I went on Crunchyroll and just hit episode 1. For whatever reason it was set to the French dub version, I did 7 years of French immersion in school, so I recognized it right away, but what took me by surprise was the French dub sounded really good. At least it did to me, which makes it more clear how most English voice actors suck. It's clearly an issue of effort because this French dub sounded nice. This series begins with Hero down in the dumps. He can no longer pilot Franks until a surprise attack has him cast a fear of death aside to save his friends. When Hero wears his piloting suit complete with gloves, he looks like Mickey Mouse with those skinny ass arms and big white hands. I actually wish it showed Hero piloting with Zero 2 during the first battle. He was so happy but can't remember a thing about it. The Parasites have been extremely sheltered their entire lives, not even knowing what a kiss is. This is why I think Hero is special and deserves credit for his critical thinking abilities at a young age. Being the first to recognize everyone as individuals instead of a number, he gave them all names. Hero was interested in learning from books and was the only one to ask questions. When you're a kid, you tend to accept what adults tell you. When I was younger, my family went to church and I learned Bible stories. At a young age, I accepted everything because it's what my parents told me. It wasn't until I was older and a friend of mine asked why I believe in religion is when I actually examined these stories. Moses parted the Red Sea, so he was a waterbender. Jesus rising from the dead, so he was a zombie. Noah building an ark and somehow getting two of each animal on it. Did he Dr. Doolittle communicate with elephants because there's no way he wrestled two of them on a boat? Or my personal favorite, God created the world in seven days and man being placed on earth the final day? Then how is it scientists have dinosaur bones dating back millions of years before mankind? It's all things in my daily life I knew were impossible, but because it was fed to me so young, I never questioned it. Hero didn't have a friend to point out the conflicting logic of the garden caretakers. His curiosity led him to discovering things weren't right for himself. Then we have Zero Two, the partner killer. She is considered a monster, complete with horns and fangs. Zero Two is so draining while in a Franks, partners can only last up to three times riding with her before their bodies give out and perish. Zero Two was so fixated on her goal of destroying every last Kalaxor, she used partners like disposable batteries, changing one out for the next. That is until she meets Hero, the first person to not seem overly damaged when partnered with Zero Two. Zero Two has been falsely told if she can destroy all the Kalaxor, she will become human. Deep down, knowing this isn't true, she still violently fights discarding anything that gets in her way. Which is why when she flips the switch and becomes completely cheerful after years of aggression, I couldn't buy it. The second half of the series, she's sweet and truly one of the gang, taking temperatures forehead to forehead and sticking to the chore chart. I just felt this sudden change wasn't realistic. I have my true darling now, no need to be the same sociopath I've been since before the series started. Zero Two and Hero as a couple had nice moments. She allows him to fulfill what he's been raised to do by piloting a Franks. And Hero not being afraid of her horns, even if she acted cool about it, I'm sure was surprising. It made Zero Two feel like she wasn't being seen as a creature for once. What this series desperately needed was more instances of Zero Two where she's being fun and cheerful. Like when she first meets Hero and laughs at his reaction to holding her underwear, or when she steals his boxers laughing and smiling while playing keep away, flipping all over the house. These moments gave her an alluring personality. 
The majority of the series, Zero Two is selfish, maniacal, and really horrible. When she was giving Hero all the sweet words and after his speech about wanting to ride with her, I, like I'm sure everyone else, was supportive of a relationship between these two. Then the cat is let out of the bag, Zero Two was full of shit the entire time. She wanted to use Hero until he broke. She never cared for him, he was a means to an end. Zero Two believes weak people are meant to die and there's no reason to be worked up about it. A few things that confuse me about Zero Two liking Hero is she asks if he will be her darling. Her two goals are to become human and track down the boy who saved her as a child. She only knows that person as darling. If Zero Two had a special name for the lost love of her life, why would she address someone else as the same title, especially to a boy she just met? I would imagine she wouldn't want to call anyone else darling. As much as Zero Two didn't want to appear as a monster, she sure acted like one. Her intention was to kill Hero until she realized he is the boy that saved her as a child. Try all you want, there's really no coming back from that. Oh darling, I won't kill you now because you're the guy who read me the picture book? Like, no you crazy freak, get the hell away from Hero. And why would Zero Two think the boy who saved her would want a person who uses others to get what they want? Did she think he'd be like, wow, you killed hundreds of people to find me? I'm so impressed. No, he'd be like, how do I escape this serial killer? Then Zero Two is fed up with playing nice after seeing the hospital room where Hero clearly escaped by himself. She thinks, you know what would get him to forgive me for almost killing him? I'll pummel all his friends who he holds dear into the ground. Yeah, now that I've beaten the brakes off of them, he will love me again for sure. Zero Two is dumb as rocks. I respected Hero calling her a monster and telling her to bounce. The last problem I have with this relationship is let's say Zero Two and Hero have been together for six months. Him declaring if Zero Two can't smile at him, he might as well be dead, like, dude, chill. There have certainly been some ups and downs, but they have had a few good moments. You've been dating a girl or boy for six months when all of a sudden you are now locked in separate rooms. You cannot see each other, hug, kiss, or have any interaction other than talking. You are conscious at all times and no longer require sleep or sustenance. The room you're in is empty and all you can do is talk to your partner of six months. Now imagine this lasting for two years four times longer than the traditional relationship you had. You would run out of things to talk about in the first few hours. It would be mind-numbing torture that would drive anyone insane. And all this time is leading to a shared suicide pact. What a fantastic end for two characters who already suffered their entire lives. Zero Two and Hero deserve better. What they earned was the fan art picture, and I apologize I don't know the artist who drew it, of Hero in demon form with Zero Two and their two children. They're together smiling and happy and it's just very wholesome. Instead, the ending we get is Zero Two turned into a giant robot and they suicide bomb an armada. Ichigo is a bitch. She can have a crush on Hero all she wants. If he doesn't want her back, learn to deal. Ichigo bugs him over the communication devices. She waits for him to come back to the house after a morning walk. She constantly badmouths Zero Two before she even knows her and acts out when Miku mentioned them possibly being a good couple. Ichigo doesn't want Zero Two to talk to Hiro and stops them from being partnered up for the mock battle. So when she slaps Zero Two's headband off, I wanted the full demon to be released and have Ichigo get torn apart. She needs to mind her own damn business. If she let Zero Two talk to Hiro in the hospital, her entire squad wouldn't have gotten worked over. Then she tries to physically stop Hiro from going to prevent Zero Two from leaving. Ichigo kisses Hiro and makes an ass of herself. How can it be made any more clear he doesn't want you? Her pettiness carries over, instead of just dropping Hero off to Zero Two and getting Goro back in the pilot seat to fight more enemies, she attacks Zero Two instead of defending the plantation, wasting time and losing a weapon to fight off Kalaxors. Just like with Zero Two, I didn't buy Ichigo's newfound kindness in the second half of the series. 
it was the same thing. There's just too much history there for you to magically be all polite and friendly with people now. Goro was a good guy. He tried to keep the peace between all the parasites. He was completely supportive of Hiro getting a chance to prove he can pilot and had no issue letting him use his partner to do it. Unfortunately, the squad didn't have Goro's back like he had all of theirs. He saved the idiot duo who charged in alone against the giant Galaxor, taking their place trapped inside. Not before ejecting his partner out to safety, only putting himself in harm's way. Then he wakes up to discover they're all back at headquarters after abandoning him. With all the times Hero and Zero Two go off script doing whatever they please, they didn't disobey orders to save Goro right then. Those two take down Kalaxors like it's nothing. If Miku and Triple Six could touch the core, Zero Two and Hero should be able to blast right through it. They left my man Goro out to dry. Goro was a great partner to Ichigo. He supported her as a leader and backed her decisions. Sadly, he had a front row seat to watch the girl he loves be enamored with one of his close friends. Goro's tragedy is he accepts less than what he deserves. He's okay being the second choice. When Ichigo and Goro actually end up together and have a child, it's after Hiro is gone with a slim chance of returning. If Hiro did return and said Zero Two didn't survive but she wants me to be happy and move on, Ichigo, I want you to be my girl, she would drop Goro and her child in an instant to run off with Hiro. Anyone who thinks differently doesn't see what a trash bag this girl is. The only hope I have for Goro is when he's out on the expeditions, he's cheating on her with all different forms of space ass. Goro's voice actor is Yorichiro Umhara, the same guy who voices Goblin Slayer. I would have never in a million years guessed these two characters would be voiced by the same man. 666, the number of the beast. I'm not calling him Zorome, he's triple six to me. His hair was ridiculous, it makes him look like somebody out of Dazed and Confused. Triple Six must have a Napoleon complex, he thought he was way better than he is. The idiot knowing you have to destroy the Kalaxor core starts celebrating and posing after hitting the body. Then he rolls the shoulders of a robot as if it's loosening up muscles before finishing it off. This leads to his partner getting fried. Triple Six is a Goomba, he goes from hating on Hero to trying to kiss him, and he is by far the most enthusiastic about wanting to please Papa and become an adult. Triple Six wants to be of use to the adults by killing Kalaxors and gaining attention for it, which is why him being the one to shut down praying to Papa when they cooked their own food was a big step for his character. His visit to the city meeting the old lady, I didn't really care about it, but after having to sit through it and it leading nowhere was annoying. At this point, the series hinted enough the kids wouldn't be accepted by or grow into adults. And that was the series problem in general, it set up different interesting points, then during the reveal it was either made to not be important or not follow through on. Instead of tying everything together, we were just given a space battle. Miku is the more immature playful girl in the group. Even though she comes off snobby at points, she still has a heart. She prevented Triple Six going too far in the mock battle against Hiro Nichigo. Having her tease the boys by using Kokoro's lap pillow was too good. Miku gained my full support after standing up to Ichigo, she pretty much lets her know she does not deserve Goro as a partner, and when it comes to being a leader, she's too short-tempered. The one relationship I would have actually been interested in seeing was Triple Six and Miku. Them both suffering from a severe case of little body big mouth gave them matching personalities. The pair of them were the last ones on each side to accept forgiveness after the house had been divided into boys and girls sections. It would have been fun to watch one slightly put themselves out there, then both get uncomfortable, embarrassed, start a huge argument, get angry, then come back an episode or two later and try again. I'm actually happy they didn't do this because the last thing the show needed was another forced couple. I wouldn't want them put together just so everyone was in a relationship. Kokoro was a sweetheart, she seemed kind, soft-spoken, and caring. I thought she would be a front-runner for best girl. 
Then she turned into one of my most hated characters not just in this series but in general. Being a typical stupid hoe, she's attracted to the guy who is rude and wants nothing to do with her. Nice guys always finished last photo, she should have known that. My heart was broken discovering Sahori Hayami, who voiced the savage Rue from Damachi, also voiced this nasty trick. Fatoshi is the series' big boy, yet he was pretty physically active while playing keep up with the ball. He was a good guy and only wanted to be the best partner he could for Kokoro. When Kokoro fed Fatoshi like Zero Two did Hero, it was cute. I'd like the pretty girl ending up with a sweet big boy. Instead, she broke their partnership, which I would have had no issue with, but it's how she did it. If Kokoro made the promise, then five episodes later changed her mind and it showed a reason for her switch, I'd accept it. But she promised him, then broke it five minutes later, which means she had no intention of following through on her word. She made a pact knowing she would abandon it. Kokoro didn't even have the decency to tell Fatoshi she was going to volunteer to partner with Mitsuru. She said nothing during the deliberation, then piped up and embarrassed him in front of everyone. After this, Fatoshi is crying, being consoled by the boys, and it's like, dude, grow up hair. She clearly never cared for you. After showing Fatoshi in shambles, it cuts to Kokoro in the greenhouse, smiling, humming away. She has no remorse for what she just did. Instead of having some self-respect, Fatoshi continues to want the best for Kokoro, threatening Mitsuru to keep her safe. Fatoshi shouldn't have saved him from getting stomped on, just look the other way and let it happen. Maybe then she will realize her mistake. What I wanted to happen so badly was for Fatoshi to lose weight during the downtime after the giant arm destroyed their home. Have him go off on his own and camp out in the woods for a while, come back looking fit with a clear mind. Have Triple Six even be impressed and give him a compliment upon return. Fatoshi would be like gotta be ready to go when Papa gives the order and have him say he wants to be at peak performance to protect Ikuno. Show Kokoro how much better a partner he is than Mitsuru and what she gave up. When Kokoro tries to say something friendly to him, just to make sure he's still under her spell, have Futoshi simply give her a short response and blow her off. I thought they were going to head in that direction, but instead Futoshi turned back into a weak crybaby. When he supports the wedding and demands to be the priest, that's him trying to show he's not bothered, but it does the opposite. He looks like a sucker nearly crying while they go in for a kiss. It was the same when their memories were erased and he refused to be her partner, claiming Kokoro and Mitsuru should be together, when we all know damn well, part of him was happy. I just feel this series did Fatoshi dirty. Mitsuru was a pompous ass, I disliked the way he crossed his legs while he sat, and I thought his hair was stupid. The way he talked and his grandiose body movements while babbling on like a moron, all rubbed me the wrong way. I had no greater pleasure this season than watching this dick get all high and mighty laughing like a maniac while believing he is better than Hero. As evil as she can be, Zero Two is somewhat loyal. She takes the training wheels off with Mitsuru and damn near kills him. Watching him recover crying like a baby in a complete broken mental state brought me joy to the point I feel I shouldn't admit. I was so happy this ass got beat down physically and mentally. This clown has cut himself off from relying on others to never be hurt again. Keeping himself isolated is most likely why he and Ikuno have trouble connecting to operate the Franks. What hurt this goof so badly you may ask? Hero couldn't keep a promise that one day the two of them would pilot a Franks together. Now why would Hero, a seemingly likable guy who everyone admired, break that promise? Besides the fact his memories were erased? When they made that promise as children, they didn't realize you had to be in male-female pairs. This idiot Mitsuru has been holding onto a grudge because Hero couldn't perform the impossible. What a stupid character motive, it made me hate this tool even more than I already did. If Mitsuru can't stand promise breakers, why did he let Kokoro? She's out here lying about promises and he's still smashed. I hated Mitsuru, but I ended up feeling bad for him. 
Kokoro didn't just screw over Fatoshi by partnering with Mitsuru, he is now even further pushed away from the guys. Then Kokoro trapped this man with a child, she is the definition of baby crazy. That is first ballot hall of fame trickery right there, and I want to know how detailed that expecting your first child book was. These kids didn't know what kissing is, but Kokoro figured out how to get this man in bed, get him stiff, enter the dragon, and lock her legs up on him so he couldn't pull out. Hiro is to blame for this too, he convinced Mitsuru he was in love with Kokoro for wanting to understand her better. That's not what classifies as love you dummy. Then Hiro pushes marriage on these fools. I mean, what the hell, marry Zero to yourself if you think it's such a great idea. When Kokoro is in her pregnancy, she acts like she wants to be a single mother. Whenever Mitsuru tries to offer help, she turns him away. She keeps telling him that she expects nothing from him. She is an evil woman. He wasn't even present for the child's birth. Labor takes hours. You can't tell me everyone else got there before him by accident. He clearly wasn't told about the birth until the last minute. Ikano just reminds me of a librarian. She was nice and deserved a way better partner than that douche Mitsuru. She wanted that girl on girl early trying to pilot a Franks with Ichigo. Aside from that, she showed no interest in girls or Ichigo for that matter the entire series. Her character arc was summed up in less than three minutes. It could have been built up a lot better. I love you Ichigo because you gave me a name. Like come on, really? Plus, Goro has enough competition as it is, back off Ikano. Shizuka Ishigami was the voice actress of Seer from Damachi, the poor fighter who got abused in Goblin Slayer, and the god-tier waifu Stella from Chivalry of a Failed Knight. She also voiced Ikuno, her most underwhelming character. The worst thing you can do for me as a viewer is not have me care either way. If I love a character and something good happens for them, I feel happy. If something tragic happens, I take on their sadness. Even if I hate a character, at least I have the emotion of anger or spite towards them. With Dr. Franks, I could give a shit less about his research, backstory, or losing his arm. His entire character meant nothing. Watching him be crushed, I was like, okay, can we get back to fighting Verm now, please? When Zero Two thanked him for what he did because she got to meet Hero because of it was wild. Dummy, if he had integrated you in the garden with the other lambs, you would have met him there. Instead, she was chained to a wall, experimented on and tortured. Why is she thankful for that? Let's get into the bottomless pit of garbage that is the ending to this series. Oh my god, Papa was evil this entire time? Who would have thought? The white robes and cult masks these supreme leaders are rocking, which screams weirdos didn't give it away. The kids all dress normally. I mean, the boys' uniform shorts look ridiculous, but it's regular attire. The immortals are called adults, while the squads are referred to as parasites. They disinfect the areas children come into contact with and use them to battle Kalaxors. I would have never thought they were evil. Giant plot twist, the monsters you've been fighting this entire time are actually defenders from the true enemy. The Franks have just been thinning out their defense this entire time. One conversation with the Klaxor princess could have stopped years of pointless battles. Now Zero Two and Hero have to warp to the other side of the galaxy. Go kamikaze to save people who enslaved, tortured, and raised them to be slaughtered. Yeah, what a great finish for these two main characters. If this finale hadn't already crumbled to ash, you're forced to suffer through the rebuild and aftermath of the final battle, which no one wants to see. Resources are scarce, rations are running low, and the crops have rotted. The camp is facing famine, but they find the smallest piece of land that is still viable to grow food. The best and brightest gather around and decide, you know what would really help this situation right now? Let's all start pumping out babies, creating more mouths to feed when we already have no sustainable future. Even with the Kalaxors returning to Earth, humanity should have held off procreating until a solid system was put in place.
Might as well bring in a gang of babies to die along with us if things go south. With all the girls pregnant, if an enemy did appear, you'd have no Franks available. This ending was garbage, these characters are idiots, and I wish they had all been put into the hive mind to exist in nothingness forever. I was surprised this series was produced by three different studios, which may be an explanation for why I absolutely hated the art style. The character lines were very noticeable, and the quality dipped often. During the scene where Triple Six and Hero get into a scuffle after a ball was kicked at him, look at Triple Six's face and Futoshi's animation when the fight breaks out. It was horrible. The fight scenes while in the Franks got really choppy too. I'm not a fan of mecha anime to begin with, and Darling in the Franks wasn't one to pull me in. The robots they pilot are the dumbest looking things I've ever seen. They have creepy faces, and the eyes look like stickers you'd peel and place on a cheap Kinder Surprise toy. The weapons and equipment are lame. The fact they're powered by horny preteens and the female pilots are bent over positioned in doggy style was just weird. Now let's get into the nitpicks. When Zero Two and Hero run off to hop in the mech for the second time, all the guards could have easily shot Hero in the leg to stop them. When Hero and Triple Six decide to be cool and fight future battles together, they shake hands with their left. When Zero Two is being set up in her new single bedroom, she is told to not expect special treatment. We'll tell that to the three goofballs sharing a room the size of a jail cell downstairs. The girls had an infinite amount of wash bins and other objects to pelt at the boys after Zero Two set them up in the bath. The Kalaxor's designs were all pretty lame, but one of them looked like a coffee table. For goodness sake, this series needed to put some effort into its designs. When Hero first saw Zero Two as children, he commented he'd never seen a child with red horns before. The way it's spelled out makes it seem like he has seen different colored horn children. I get they were on the run, but they took breaks. Why didn't Hero give Zero Two a proper name like he did everyone else as kids? When Miku was guarding Hero's hospital door, he could have easily got past her. There was no need to prison break out of the room with sheets. The nines being the beta males they are, bend over in the franks. Zero Two beautifully recreates the illustrations of her picture book, yet the bird she painted on the house looks like crap. When the not-so-happily-married couple take off their rings, you see indents on their fingers. If a ring made that impression in such a short time, it was way too tight. At the end of the series, we see the franks outside with vegetation growing all over them. I'd be keeping my giant killing machine fresh in case, I don't know, more aliens stop by. As for the music, the intro track Kiss of Death definitely grew on me, not to say that it was bad, but hearing it over and over gave me a better appreciation for it. One of the background tracks that played a few different times sounded the same as when Raiden is running naked in Metal Gear Solid 2, before Snake gives his gear back. The music that plays when Hero takes the practice machine to link up with Zero Two when she's fighting the Kalaxor alone was great too. As for quote of the series, this show made so many sexual innuendos it would be impossible to pick one. I can feel it. I'm going deeper inside you. You want to ride me? We're the perfect fit. And so many more. Best Girl Waifu and Harem Best Girl is 0-2, but let me make this perfectly clear. She wins because of how terrible all the other females were written in this series. Miku was the only interesting one, but just didn't have enough time designated to her character to award her the title of Best Girl. If you listen to my reviews, you know I let the next show be picked out at random. With Darling in the Franks, that was not the case. Every YouTube video and TikTok was Zero Two is the greatest, Zero Two is waifu, Zero Two Zero Two Zero Two. This was from release continuing through the entirety of 2019. It got to the point I had to watch it just to get it off my feed. So I googled what series Zero Two was from and started watching. By episode 18, I remember going to my boy Kaylee Kale, who had already watched this show, to ask him if I was missing something, or does her character come alive during the end. I like to pride myself on being objective, and I don't feel I went into this with high expectations. But I couldn't understand why Zero Two gets the love she does. 
not just as a waifu, but as a character in general. Kaylee Kale told me something that has stuck with me the years since I first saw Darling in the Franks. Zero Two is the basic man's waifu. There was nothing special about her as a person, and her story wasn't mind-blowing. There were some themes with Zero Two I didn't touch on in this review, and it's not that I didn't notice them, I just could not get into her character enough to care. When it came to analyzing her, ironically, there was Zero to be interested in. Zero Two doesn't even look good. Her fan art far surpassed how she appears in the actual series. Come at me, fanboys. I do not care. I don't consider Zero Two waifu material at all, and as for Harem, these girls were awful and can all piss off. Final thoughts. I was excited for this review because I had a lot to say. Going through this series a second time was a drag. Each character is awful in their own way, the fights were not interesting, and the animation and picture quality were not to my liking. This series has one of the worst endings I've ever seen in anime. People praising Darling in the Franks is beyond me. Someone rated it 10 out of 10 on a video I once saw. I don't give out number ratings for series, but if I did, this would get a failing mark. I would never suggest this anime to a friend or anyone looking for a recommendation. That's going to be it for this week's review. Hope to catch you in the next one. Bye.